Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Horton's new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Kaboom! If you thought four hours a day, 1,200 minutes a week was enough, Think again. He's the last remnants of the old republic. A sole bastion of fairness. He treats crackheads in the ghetto gutter the same as the rich pill poppers in the penthouse. Wow. The clearinghouse of hot takes break free for something special. The Fifth Hour with Ben Maller starts right now. That it does. We are in the air everywhere. The vast and powerful empire of podcasting the fifth hour with me ben maller because four hours at night in the overnight are not enough and we do this now eight days a week this is the friday podcast it is not a uh, grab ass podcast no 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 this is a conversation podcast this is a chat with a friend podcast but we are again joined by david gascon right over there there he is checking here i'm here and i'm here i'm excited for today this guest is right in my wheelhouse for what he does what he has done this is uh this is a rare good get by ben maller and uh, i applaud you for this one uh this one is a, a good one so i'm geeked up about it well this guy is a friend of the maller militia very few people who have prominence will admit to being a friend of the maller militia uh, but he is it's not currently an nba play-by-play guy for 21 seasons yeah this guy slaved over a hot microphone with the Portland Trailblazers and called NBA games and just a, a wonderful voice. And the, the art, if you're a fan of radio, and if you're listening to this and you listen to the radio show, you chances are like audio broadcasting. Anybody can do play-by-play, play, but very few can do it well. And there's, there's just not much I know of that's better than listening to a well-broadcast game as a sports fan when the broadcaster is on his game. And uh, that would be the, the man we're going to talk to today, Brian Wheeler. Uh, 21 seasons, Portland Trailblazers, his trademark call. We'll have to ask him about it at some point. Boom shakalaka. I love the alliterations, though. <laughs> I love the alliterations, Gascon, yeah. when he would go on a rant. You ought to steal that from Wheels. You should do that as an homage to Wheels when I you do your play-by-play. Yeah, you man. You can't do – like, you can't take something from that guy. You can't take – oh, it's in the games in the refrigerator from Chick Hearn. You can borrow it. You There's can just, borrow no, it. No, man. You I, could. You could borrow it you can, listen, you, as a tribute. Okay, so were you good with – because a few years ago, the St. Louis Cardinals walked off in game six of the World Series, and – 
Joe Buck paid homage to his dad off the home run that was hit. He said, and we'll see you tomorrow night. That was kind of an homage to his dad back yeah. in the 1991 World Series with the Minnesota Twins. Are, so you're okay with with, with knockoff uh, knock no, I don't consider calls. it. No, I mean, you shouldn't completely steal it, but it, I, I have no issue with a tribute, if you will. And uh, the other thing too about this guest gun, you know, you're you're an old fart. You're in your fifties, yeah. and you should know, like the younger generation. Yeah. Even if you did a cheap ripoff version of Chick Hearn, yeah. there's an, a generation plus of people that never heard Chick Hearn, the Laker Hall of Fame broadcaster, in his prime. And even if they heard him at the end, uh, Chick had lost a lot off the fastball yeah. the last few years. So you, know, you could do a, a version. Of, listen, there's some of the stuff that I do that I, I, tr- I give a tribute. Uh, uh, some of the, the dumb things I say are a tribute to my favorite radio guy when I was a kid, Jim Healy. Yeah. And I will quote you know, sound bites that Healy would play on his show, and but I'm not doing it to steal his his stuff. He's been dead for a while, but I do it as a tribute to to honor him. Um, so that's my my position. But anyway, look, we're getting carried away, guest. It's a bad job by you. Shame on you. All right, so I, I intentionally, you know, I was thinking maybe we'll, we'll talk about the NBA Plus, but I'm more interested in wheels. I'm more interested. I want to learn more about Wheels. I've known him for a long time, but I want to know more about his life and uh, and all that, uh, and, and also the the hot button issue involving a certain broadcaster. Oh boy, in Ohio oh and his boy. situation going on right now. Uh, so anyway, uh, let's give it up now for Brian Wheeler. He's on the beach right now. He'll soon be back behind a microphone somewhere calling NBA games. And if not, uh, we will get to the bottom of it. But uh, Brian, welcome into the fifth hour here with Ben Maller and David Gascon. He'll chime in here in a little bit. But I guess most importantly, you had some health issues. How are you feeling? You know, I'm hanging in, sir. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of uh, weird to be uh, watching Blazer games and not uh, calling them. So that's a bit different. But uh you know, uh, uh, try to get my uh, health back in order and hopefully uh, at some point uh, back calling games in the NBA uh, for somebody. So it's, uh, you know, it's kind of a, a different environment, but, uh, you know, trying to make the best of it. Obviously, the uh, whole uh, COVID thing that we're all dealing with, it's, uh, you know, that, that makes, makes things interesting too. But, uh, you know, try to keep things as uh, normal as possible. And how's your health going? I know you, you had some some issues there. You've been battling uh, for several years here. You, you feel like you're you're getting close to turning the corner on that. Uh, I know there's a lot of Blazer fans that are tuned into this that are dying to get. They got to get some wheels updates here. They want to know what's going on. So how how you been? How you been feeling? Yeah, I think I think certainly uh, uh, turning the corner on on some things, and uh, uh, there were some. Uh, you know things that the the COVID uh, the deal kind of um, stalled uh, a little bit. I, I've got a beautiful pool, for instance. Uh, it's uh, right in the apartment complex I moved in a year ago. Uh, but uh, for the most part, since it was a brand new complex a year ago, uh, by the time the pool got ready, it was kind of close to the winter months. It's an outdoor pool, so they said it's heated, but uh, but you know they really didn't have it ready before things got cold. And then it started open up, and then all of a sudden, with the restrictions on. Uh, you know, uh, all the social distancing and so forth. Uh, they really, as we open all summer, we've had some beautiful days. So, so kind of haven't really haven't been able to take advantage of that, for instance. So, so there's you know some uh, some things that probably would have uh, helped to push uh, the health situation along even further. But uh, but you know, I think uh, what what I have been able to do, uh, at least on my own, uh, I think have uh, you know have created some good. Uh, uh, good improvement and uh, a little bit more to be done, but I think uh, at least we're we're headed down the right path. 
Nice. All right. So I, obviously, you're you're a basketball guy. You had a life, and you, you will continue soon uh, in the NBA. At some point, somebody's going to hire you and get very lucky. But, but so we'll get to the playoffs. But I wanted to start as a fellow broadcaster. We all have opinions. We're, we're all in front of a live microphone. You've done radio for years. You did talk shows in addition to the play-by-play stuff. What is your opinion of the firestorm that has been taking place with Tom Brenneman? Uh, and as we're talking here, the the I guess former Reds broadcaster, he's been suspended at the time we're talking. He has been removed from the NFL on Fox. He was caught on an open mic uh, saying a homophobic slur. Uh, what's what's your take on how that all went down? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of uh, saw it on, uh, on Twitter last night like everybody else did and then heard what uh, happened, and I, I'm, I'm just surprised. I mean, Tom's uh, obviously a veteran broadcaster. I remember uh, being in Chicago when he uh, first kind of got his big uh, major league break uh, doing the Cubs games when Harry Carey was still around, and uh, and obviously he's had a great career since then. He's still not still not an old guy in any respect, but you would think that he'd know about uh, you know the the uh, you know one of the common uh, things that you're taught about uh, any time in front of a microphone, assume it's a, assume it's a live microphone. So uh, so I'm a little surprised that uh, he took a chance at saying something that uh, obviously was not something he wanted to get out uh, over the air for public consumption. But uh, uh, and it's amazing how you know one little um, well maybe not little but but one uh, slip up that uh, was not intended uh, could uh, you know could pretty much do damage to. Uh, a long-established career, and so now he won't be on Fox. Uh, chances are the Reds suspending him. He probably won't be back with them. He would think uh, so. Uh, he may be uh, he may be on the sidelines for a while. And he even said it in his goodbye last night uh, when he you know finally figured out or was told what had happened and was uh, leaving the air. That he said, you know, I, I don't know if I'm going to be back on, and and I think he pretty much knew that uh, you know this was uh, this could be a very damaging thing, and I think we're starting to see the ramifications of it today, but. Uh, yeah, it's, 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 it, you know, it's really, I mean, I, I can also, uh, uh, you know, talk about uh, what happened in Sacramento. Grant Napier, a guy that I worked with for uh, a lot of years when, when I was with the Kings and have known him for quite a few years. And, uh, and he puts out a bad tweet and it cost him his job with the Kings. So, uh, these days, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're certainly in a, in a situation where it's a, uh, it's a sensitive society. People, uh, don't want to have, uh, things said in a, in, in a negative fashion about, uh, Either uh, you know a race, a creed, a color, whatever it might be, and uh, I can certainly understand that. And I think uh, um, when you're in a public situation where it's uh, the airwaves and people can hear it or see it, um, that becomes very, very damaging if you, uh, if, you if you have a misstep. And I think uh, you know people are finding out that uh, uh, years of hard work to put a career together uh, in one uh, in one fell swoop uh, that can be changed very, very quickly in a very negative fashion. And I think Tom Brennan is. Feeling that today and may, may feel it even more as, as this fully plays out. Be sure to catch live editions of the Ben Maller Show weekdays at 2 a.m. Eastern, 11 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. 
someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, and, and Wheels, the, the follow-up on that, and it's it's a good point, but I, I remember when I first got into the business and I was talking to some of the old-timers, you know, when you would make a mistake, now obviously, Brenneman, you can't be saying that, what are you doing, but what, a typical uh, run-of-the-mill mistake, you know, chances are people consuming television or radio you know they're listening we deal with this all the time in talk radio where people listen but they don't listen to every word they hear just a small percentage of what we actually say and so but but with social media you just play it over and over and over again right i know social media has been around for a long time but it's it's a, a much different landscape in recent years especially it feels like even though social media has been around for you know twitter started in the first decade the late part of the 2000s uh and facebook's been around a little longer than that but it it, it, it that's the difference right i mean if you make a mistake now even if most people don't hear it then you get it saved on on Facebook and then uh, or Twitter or whatever, and then it just keeps playing over and over. You know what I'm saying, Wheels? You understand? I mean, it's just, it's, that's that's the game changer in a lot of this. Where if you say something, even something that most people don't hear when they're listening originally, it just comes back and haunts you. Yeah, I think what's also changed, man, is that uh, uh, you know when I was in Chicago, you know Harry Carey uh, in his latter years had all kinds of uh, faux pas on the air to varying degrees and. Uh, people kind of just said, "Oh, that's just Harry," you know. I mean, it's just kind of. I mean, I, here's a guy who one time, you know, sat on the air and probably said it more than once. Uh, you know, there would be a fly ball and uh, pop up or something, and uh, and here's uh, a Mexican shortstop for the for the Cubs trying to make uh, the catch, and and uh, you know, all of a sudden, he, you know, he, he can't see the ball and and it drops for a hit, and here's Harry saying, "How could a Mexican guy lose a ball in the sun?" Now, now you know, can you imagine him saying that today and <laughs> getting away with it? But you know, at the time, people were like, "Ha ha ha, that's pretty funny," you know. So, so it's like, you know, I just think that uh, I don't know, I don't know if our if our uh, 
you know, senses of humor were different back then uh, in, in, in different days. But, but I, I do think that um, people's people sensitivity for anything that, you know, resembles um, something uh, inflammatory, um, uh, it's, it's heightened to, to quite a bit. So, so I think the things that maybe would have just been written off as, uh, I didn't really mean it. He just, you know, just being funny or whatever. I mean, I, I, you know, the late great Chick Hearn, uh, you know, I, I was told I was on a Lakers team plane one time, and he's walking around the plane, and, and a bunch of the guys are playing a pretty high-stakes game of poker. So he's kind of observing it. And Rick Fox asked him, "Hey, Chick, do you want to uh, do you want to get in on the get on the game?" And he goes, and "He goes, oh no, no, no." And he goes, "Come on, it's, it's, you know, it'd be fun." And he goes, "No, no, I couldn't keep up with you colored you colored boys." And he walked wow. away. Fox looks at the rest of the guys. And they went, "Did he just call us colored boys?" And, the, and you know, and, and they laughed about it. You know, but yeah. uh, but you know, I think I think. You know, ignorance or just you know uh, somebody who's you know maybe not up to date with the times or whatever. That that's those no longer are good excuses anymore. And if something like that had gotten to be public in the past, I mean, the great career Chick Hearn had. You know, who knows if, if that might have been affected if, uh, if if people found out about that. You know, during a time when it could have been. I, I think if that again had been said today, you know, that could have been real real trouble. Yeah, you're right. You know, I remember uh, Harry Carey at the end watching WGN when Hideo Nomo was pitching for the for the uh, Dodgers, uh, and it was not. You know, he had some issues with that, and uh, and also remember Chick. He had that incident uh, where he, you know, a guy was hanging on the rim and. Uh, he said, uh, I think he said somebody was hanging on the rim like a monkey or something like that. And it was just, yeah, like, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a, and, and both those things did get swept away. Now you're right. The, the wheels. That's a great point that, that today. Well, they, do you remember, do you remember the old, the old, uh, uh, the old, uh, when you grew up in LA, I, I remember the show, remember the old show bowling for dollars, um, that uh, was on and the chick was the host of the, of the program. And, now he, <laughs> it was something that people I think just discovered over time. I don't know if he even did it intentionally. It was just something that that just came out. But a, a white guy would go on the show, you know, and he'd say, you know, hey, where do you work? And uh, you know, and he'd, he'd talk about it, you know, before the contestant would uh, start doing his bowling. But a black guy would come on, and very often he would say, do you work? You know, so so kind of you know, but people would say, oh, is he assuming that the you know that, that for sure the white guys are always working, but maybe there's a black guy. Maybe he doesn't work. You know, so I gotta I gotta check that. You know, but he would he wouldn't always say to the black guy, uh, "Where do you work?" He would often say, "Do you work?" I mean, so so this is. I mean, again, I think people uh, you know would sometimes say they wouldn't necessarily say it was it was okay or it was right, but sometimes just laughing off it. Ah, that's just you know he's just he's just ignorant about it. You know, whatever. But I, it's, it's no longer it's no longer okay. It's, you know, for that to be for that to be the case. So so yeah, when you're in a public forum. And you're you're saying or doing things on the airwaves uh, uh, that uh, maybe years ago you could have gotten away with. Uh, um, you better be up to speed about uh, about what what's uh, what's okay to say, and better get educated about uh, what uh, what people um, you know consider uh, proper way of going about things. Because uh, you know they definitely have changed, and uh, and and everybody's got to change with that, uh, or else uh, they could they could find some trouble that uh, they won't really, they, they they maybe weren't asking for. Yeah, and, and uh, that's a that's a good point. Also, so uh, Wheels, let, let's talk about you. It's all about you, Wheels. You started. You grew up in Southern. You grew up in Southern California, right? You, I, I know you're a Dodger that's guy, right. and and uh, and all that. But you you spent a lot of time in Chicago. I think you went to school there, and you've bounced around. I mean, you've been in Portland forever. But before that, right, when you were trying to get that big break, you worked in several cities around the country, right? You had the typical play-by-play slash broadcasting career early on, where you. 
you had to move quite often, right? When you were getting your feet settled and, and try to find that gig. How many cities have you lived in over the years as you try to get the gig that you finally got in Portland? Yeah, not as many as, uh, you know, that's just for some folks. I was lucky. I never really had to go to, you know, to uh, a really, really small town to get experience, uh, which I thought I might have to do. It seemed like that's what people uh, would have to do to kind of get uh, their, their first break and get some experience. And uh, But I, I, I was... I was actually born in Chicago. We moved to L.A. when I was two months old. Moved back to Chicago for family reasons uh, after my freshman year of high school. So I finished high school in Chicago. Uh, USC was my dream school, and I got accepted there, but I, I couldn't take a uh, Illinois State scholarship out of uh, out of there, and I couldn't get a California State scholarship because I wasn't a resident. So the tuition would have been uh, uh, too uh, you know too daunting for me to handle. So so I ended up going to Loyola Chicago, uh, and then stayed there. To, uh, to do the Loyola Games even after I graduated and got my first uh, broadcast opportunities there. And, uh, you know, I started to apply for NBA jobs and kind of found out early on that uh, a lot of the NBA teams thought my college work was pretty good, but uh, they wanted me to, you know, prove that I could do NBA games. And I said, well, that's why I'm applying for an NBA job. And, and so somehow I knew that I might have trouble getting an NBA job if I couldn't somehow get some NBA experience. So, yeah, Seattle offered an opportunity uh, for me to go there and, and work uh, for the Sonics flagship radio station, and I could do the pre-up and post-game show. And even though it wasn't play-by-play, at least it was a day-to-day affiliation with an NBA team, which helped. And then uh, after a couple of years in Seattle, Sacramento, had an opportunity to go there do the same things I was doing in Seattle, but I could also add the chance to be uh, a fill-in for the main uh, radio play-by-play guy who would miss uh, some games like 5 to 10 every season. So uh, I finally got to put some NBA games on a, on a, on a resume tape, and then that uh, led to the opportunity after three years in Sacramento to uh, to get to Portland and um, did the Blazers jobs for Blazers job for 21 years. So so it was a good uh, it was a good run, and I never really had to uh, to you know kind of go to a small market. I unfortunately stayed in some pretty good sized markets and got noticed, and uh, I did talk shows along the way too, and um, you know host duties as well. Did some TV every now and then. So. Uh, but but radio play-by-play was what I always wanted to do, and uh, basketball was the sport that I enjoyed the most. So I was very fortunate that I could uh, say that I, you know, I, I lived out a dream, which not everybody gets a chance to do. And, and hopefully I'll have another opportunity to, you know, to uh, continue that dream uh, somewhere else down the road here. Be sure to catch live editions of the Ben Maller Show weekdays at 2 a.m. Eastern, 11 p.m. Pacific. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., 
We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Brian, what was the toughest job with all of this? Was it actually just getting into the door and getting a crack at this? Was it legitimately calling an NBA game because of the speed and the talent and making sure that, I mean, because the limited opportunities, you almost think, for an instance, where, hey, limited at-bats, I need to make sure that I'm making good quality contact and I'm getting on board, right? So, like, were those things in between the ears? Were you thinking about that? Or was it just about trying to make those connections, having someone like you, and advocating for you to to obviously you know reach your ultimate goal. Well, considering that I was uh, pretty young, like uh, eleven or twelve, when I decided that uh, broadcasting was something I wanted to do, I, I knew that uh, I was pretty smart early on. That I could figure out, even though I could play any sport that I wanted to, and then be uh, you know not embarrass myself, be pretty representative of uh, you know of a good uh, guy to pick on a you know on a, on a, for a pickup game or something. Uh, but I knew I wasn't going to excel in any one sport enough to consider playing it seriously. So I thought, well, what's the best way to stay connected if I can't play? And it was my mother at the time that said, well, we like to talk a lot. Maybe we can do something with that. And so I, I said, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll be a broadcaster. So I told all my friends it's what I wanted to do. And uh, so so I, I got a lot of early practice, uh, you know, to call games. And, of course, growing up in L.A. at the time, uh, you know, it was, it was an era where there weren't a lot of games on television. I remember the Dodgers had, like, 25 games on TV. They do all the Sunday games on the road and whatever games there would be with the Giants on the road, but no home games. And uh, so radio was really the way to follow, you know, the teams. And so uh, a great time if you loved radio. I mean, I, I would listen to Vin, you know, do the Dodger games. Chick would do the uh, Laker games. Bob Miller was doing the uh, Kings games. You had uh, Dick Enberg at the time, a local guy doing the Rams and the Angels. Tom Kelly doing USC, Fred Hessler UCLA. I mean, so a lot of very, very talented guys to, to listen to and to and to try to figure out what made them so special. So, uh, so it really gave me a lot of practice. So I think once I got chance to do some um, some NBA games, I was kind of ready for it. So I think it was probably more just some of the things you had to do to um, you know to piecemeal a, a uh, you know a salary essentially. I mean, so I got I got a, you know for the Loyola games when I graduated. Um, they they didn't really have a lot of radio stations clamoring uh, for their for their radio rights, so you had to buy the time to get to, to get the games on radio, which uh, the university didn't have any budget for. It, so I had to go out and sell advertising to try to uh, uh, get enough money to pay for the production costs, and you know probably had a limited salary myself or whatever I could make, but I did it because I wanted to get the experience of doing the game. So I think mean, that was probably the hardest part, but 
you know, to kind of make ends meet, I had to be a traffic reporter for one of the own news stations. So, so I kind of had to do some things at times that weren't necessarily, uh, you know, in the field that I wanted to, but, you know, kind of a necessity to be able to make ends meet and to be able to, uh, you know, pay my bills. But, uh, but, you know, I think everybody at one time or another has had to do that to try to, uh, uh, just wait for the, you know, for the good opportunity. So, um, so certainly it was, uh, it was well worth it. And, uh, and even though I, even though I came in second four times, for NBA play-by-play jobs before I got the Blazer job, um, you know, I stayed patient and uh, and even though it wasn't always easy to stay optimistic that I was on the right path, I still thought, you know, all I need is one team to, you know, just give me a chance and uh, fortunately the, the Blazers did that and so it was a really nice run and hopefully I can get the Anything close to that kind of run with somebody else, I'd be, be ecstatic if it could happen again. Yeah, so you didn't need USC because you had, like you mentioned, that that roster of talent here in, in Southern California with those play-by-play broadcasters. So you mentioned all those guys. How did you end up connecting with this guy on the other fucking side of the microphone, Ben Mallard? Because Ben is absolutely <laughs> drooling right now with Portland Trailblazer love, and it is nauseous. At- well, no, no, hold on a sec now, guys. Yeah, listen, uh, I because they're playing the Lakers, and you know I got some issues with the Lakers and all that. But I, I got issues with the Blazers. I got you know I got a few with the Blazers though, because Wheels is my guy. Yeah. He's not with the team now and all that. But uh, so let's not. I get carried away here. How dare you guess? Well, I, that. I just uh, I had to ask the connection. Well, but, you know, I mean, I, I used to I used to have the uh, the uh, the great privilege of going every summer. Uh, Roy Engelbrecht, who was a uh, uh, broadcast teacher at USC, mm-hmm. uh, discovered that all of the students were asking him, "Well, how do I get? How do I break into business? How do I put a resume together and a, and a demo tape and so forth?" And he said, "You know, there's a real need for this." And so they started a sportscasters camp. Uh, years and years ago, uh, and basically just did it locally initially, and then took it to uh, uh, other markets. They thought that maybe uh, you know people wouldn't travel across the country to you know to go to LA. So one year they did it in about four different cities across uh, uh, the country, and one of them was in Rensselaer, Indiana. And so they uh, called uh, uh, schools around Chicago to get some counselors to come help out at the camp. And one of the calls they made was to Loyola, and uh, they talked to the SID there. Who, who then relayed the message to me and said, you know, are you interested in this? And, and when I heard Bob Miller was the co-director, I said, guys, it would be wonderful just to meet, you know, meet Bob. And so that was a great, great opportunity. And kind of, you know, I was one of the people that critiqued the tapes of the uh, of the uh, guys as they were doing their play-by-play. And they would always set up the camp, uh, tying it in with, uh, you know, a summer league, uh, you know, either high school or, or, you know, or college or even the NBA summer league when it used to be in uh, Long Beach. And so, uh, so then they find out. They figured out that no, they, they, they figured out that people would travel to LA uh, for the camp. So they kind of uh, pulled it in and had it in LA every year. So I would come. I would come and be able to do the camp, and then I'd stay for some extra days to go to a Dodger game uh, or two, maybe an Angels game, whatever it might be. So I, I met Ben at one of those one of those situations, and then uh, you know found out he was a great guy and that he uh, you know had passion for sports and a uh, good sense of humor. And so, so we hit it off right away, and then you know just kind of keep in touch whenever. Uh, I would, uh, you know, come back to town then with the Blazers, and he would be often be, you know, uh, be at the game. And I knew that he liked underdogs. And he was always a Clipper fan more than he was a Laker fan. So, um, so it was, uh, you know, he wasn't just to go along with, uh, you know, whatever the popular choice was for, uh, you know, for fandom in town. So, uh, so it was great. And I was was hoping that at some point I could uh, get a chance to, to, uh, you know, come come to LA. And I, I had one opportunity. I, I came in second when Spiro got the uh, Spiro Dias got the Laker job. And um, I wish the Lakers had given me a shot. I, I, I think that you know would have been a better option. I knew Spiro was an East Coast guy, and I thought he would try to get back to the East Coast as soon as he had the opportunity, and he did. And and I tried to tell him, I said, you know, this is not a this is not a job. Uh, this is a stepping stone to something else for me. If I got this job, 
job. It would be my dream job, and I'd stay forever. And, um, but they didn't buy it, and they, they kind of went for the, uh, the slick young guy. And didn't work out, but uh, that would have been great. Would have loved to have been yeah. back in L.A. full-time again. But, uh, but that's still, I used to drive my friends in Chicago crazy because that's still, even when we moved there, um, I still rooted for all the L.A. teams. And, and they'd say, why don't you go back to L.A.? And I said, well, I would if I could. I said, but, you know, family brought, it, brought me here, but it wasn't my choice. I would have stayed in L.A. if I, if I could have. And I still root for all the L.A. teams. Uh, maybe not so much the Lakers anymore, but, uh, but you know, because they're kind of <laughs> plays a rival now. But, uh, but when they weren't a rival, I used to root for the so the, so the Magic Johnson Laker era, I can root for them. But the Phil Jackson era, and then not so much. But uh, but rest of the LA teams, I still have great affection for. Watch the Dodgers every night on on uh, the elite pass and so forth. So it's uh, still you know those teams will still be uh, in my heart probably forever. Yeah, and we also, I remember uh, around that time when you were up for, for the Laker job, and and you know I I feel guilty because I was I was like telling these idiots the uh, executives I was like hire this guy. What are you doing? And uh, and for some, I don't know what happened behind the scenes. I've heard different stories and all that, but uh, I obviously I'm I'm a biased witness. Wheels, but you would have been amazing. And uh, you know, even me uh, who takes uh, shots at the Lakers and all that, if you would, God forbid, if you would end up working there, I might have had to change my opinion. Wheels, because I'm such a wheels guy. But uh, yeah. it would have been great. I really, you know, and I, yeah. I thought. You know, they had told Michael Thompson he was going to have a major say in who got hired, and he was. And I had known Michael for quite a few years, and I thought I had it all set up really well. I had probably more of my uh, uh, high-level uh, uh, references uh, call for that job more so than you know than anybody else. I think had Chick still been alive, he used to call for a lot of the jobs I, I went for in the NBA when there were openings, and I would always be amazed. Somebody would tell me, "Well, here's the person to contact," but. Uh, uh, you know, just so you know, uh, they're hard to they're hard to reach. You might have to call them about three, four times, and you know, they'll maybe take a week to call you back. And I tell Chick that, and he said, "Okay, well, I'll call him." And then he called back like twenty minutes later. So I just talked to him. So, so I mean, when when Chick would call, you know, people picked up the phone, and uh, and so uh, you know, he always uh, was really gracious to me. And I think had he still been alive when that job was open, maybe he could have, you know, pushed it through with the people that he still knew from. You know, from being with the Lakers for all those years, but uh, it was it was disappointing. That was of all my disappointments in coming in second. That was uh, that was the greatest one because uh, it would have been as much as I love being with the Blazers. I mean, uh, and that would probably be the only job I would have left the Blazers for. But uh, but it would have been you know something that would have brought me full circle and back to LA and uh, and uh, being with the you know the team I I certainly idolized growing up. But uh, but it wasn't to be, and so you know and. Uh, and who knows, you know, the guys that are with the Lakers now are certainly L.A. guys, and they, they, they may never want to give it up, which I certainly want to understand. So I don't know if that job will ever be open again until, uh, you know, until maybe John Ireland is eight years old again. And by then, I'll be a little bit too old probably to take it at that point. Yeah, and uh, for those you know, wheels, like, obviously a lot of guys listening now. We have a lot of listeners uh, in Portland, that area. People that have heard your highlight, your highlights when you were doing the Blazer games got played more than I think anybody's highlights who does play by play because of your style there. Right? For for those though that are unfamiliar that are listening to this saying, I, I hear you talk about Brian Wheeler all the time, but I don't tell me more. Like, how would you describe your style, wheels, when you're doing a, an NBA game for the neophyte that hasn't heard you call a game on the radio. How would you describe how you call an NBA game? Well, it's a hybrid of a couple of different styles. I mean, growing up, growing up in L.A., obviously, I heard a very objective broadcasters. I mean, as I mentioned, you know, Ben, Dick Enberg, uh, these guys, you know, they never said we or us or them. And uh, uh, I used to get mad at Chick sometimes when I'd listen because I thought he would try sometimes uh, to go overboard to not 
uh, acting like he was in all uh, partial to the Lakers. And so, uh, so I, I, you know, he said, "Now remember, uh, the Lakers have always had trouble in these situations all season long." And I'd be like, "Shut up! They don't. They don't." And, and I'm yelling at the radio. There's <laughs> nobody could hear me, and he certainly couldn't. But uh, but when I got to meet him, I told him that story. And he laughed, and he said, "Well, you know, I always used to feel that." That I might have as many people, um, you know, listening uh, for the other team as maybe the Lakers with all the uh, transplants uh, to L.A. And so he said, sometimes I felt like I had to broadcast, you know, that way. And I totally understood. But then when I got to Chicago, all of a sudden now I'm listening to Harry Carey and Jay Brickhouse and guys that are saying we, us, and them and, uh, and are, uh, you know, tremendously partial to the home team. And, uh, and so I thought, wow, this is really a, a unique uh, way of calling games. And so, so I think as I started to, to get uh, into my own uh, – ability to uh, to broadcast games i think i became a little bit of a hybrid of the two styles i mean i, I certainly never said we us or them on on the air for any blazer game but i think people clearly knew that uh, they wanted the, the blazers to win and in fact some people would joke that they could turn the game on uh, you know maybe midstream and sometimes from the tone of my voice or however enthusiastic i sounded they could kind of get a feel that if the team was winning or losing. And so so uh, I always worked on that. I tried not to sound too down if they weren't uh, winning. But I also said, you know, I'm going to be a fan, you know. And so if they, they aren't winning, I'm probably going to sound a little disappointed. If they are winning, I'm just going to be like Disneyland Revisited. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be really happy about it. So, so um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's uh, I think that's kind of the way, I, way I've been. And I think I found that, you know, for the Blazer fans, uh, with, you know, the, the Blazers being kind of the major team in town, and they always have been, uh, there's never been, I think, Portland, I think it's the smallest market to only have one major sports team. I mean, if you count MLS, they have two, but of the four major sports, they're, they're, they're the smallest market that has only one of the four. So uh, because of that, the Blazers have owned the town, and, and the people here are tremendously passionate about the team. And so I think it fit in with, uh, with, with the way that people felt about about the club and so so when they were you know when they were going well then you know then, then obviously I was really excited about about what I saw but uh, but I tried never to be so uh, partial that I couldn't be honest if the team wasn't playing well but uh, uh, but certainly I understood that uh, when the team was uh, going great then you know then I got pretty excited about it so it was a it was a fun job and I thought it was a great basketball was a great game to call and has a lot of up and down emotion. It's a game full of runs, so you can you can uh, you're never really out of a game most nights, and and sometimes you never really have a lead that can't uh, you know be vanquished if the other team puts a run together. So so it has a lot of drama to it, and um, I thought it was the best game to call, and I, I still do, and so hope I get a chance to call it again someday. Hey Brian, well, if you had, I mean, because obviously, like you you mentioned to to us about being here in Los Angeles, if you had the opportunity though to call anything, and we're talking Rams, Chargers. Lakers, Clippers, Kings, Ducks, Angels, or or the MLS. Like if you had a team locally here in Los Angeles that you can call for on the regular, who would that be? Well, I'd certainly be the Lakers if I if I could. I mean, just because of uh, you know the, the affection I had for them. I remember when the Lakers finally beat the Celtics in uh, in 1985 after never having beaten them in the NBA Finals before that, including the year before. Um, I found out the year before that uh, uh, you should never uh, say a certain thing when your team is in a uh, desperate position. So I remember watching Game 7 uh, of the 84 Finals in Boston. Lakers are down, but they're making a big run. And I yelled out, if there is a God, he will make sure that the Lakers rally to win this series and finally get a chance to celebrate. Well, the Lakers didn't win, and I thought, I guess God has better things to do than worry about who wins the NBA Finals. So, but the next year, when they finally did break through, I was on a media softball team, and, and uh, the Lakers win the game in the afternoon. I'm sitting in my, my bedroom. And, and 
passionate sports fans can probably relate to this. Other people think it's pretty stupid, and it probably was pretty stupid. But but here I am drinking champagne in my bedroom, pouring champagne in my head like uh, the Lakers were doing as uh, they were celebrating in the locker room. So I go out and uh, playing the game, and so I'm a little, little tipsy from having had some champagne earlier in the day. But it was a it was a it was a ballpark that had a, a somewhat of a short fence, and uh, so I had three home runs in the game. And every time I had a homer, I turned to our bench and I said, "That was for magic." And the next thing was, "That was for Kareem." And that was for Worthy. And so, and so I was, I was in, intolerable to my friends. In fact, I told them after uh, the Lakers won that day, I said, "Now I'm going to tell you for the next year. If you ask me uh, where are the Lakers going to be playing tonight, I'm going to say who." And then I say, the Lakers, where are they playing? Oh, you mean the world champions? Yes, I'll, I'll be able to tell you where they're playing tonight. I would not, I would not uh, address the question unless they, unless they uh, you know, told, said that the Lakers were the world champions. So that's how intolerable I ended up being uh, for uh, people in Chicago that didn't care about the Lakers in any, in any sense or another. So because of that passion in the early years, uh, I think uh, you know, there's no doubt if I had a chance to pick an L.A. team to call, it would still be, it'd still be the Lakers. Yeah, and, and, and Wheels, uh, you know, let's go back to your uh, your style. You, you, the trademark line when somebody would have a dunk or whatever, you go boom, shaka laka. I love that. Where did you come up with that? How did that become your thing when the big moments would happen for the Blazers? Yeah, and I can't say that it was it was my uh, creation, but uh, but I, I I I you know some people said, oh, he must have got it from the NBA the original NBA 2K game, but I, I really, I never played video games when I was a kid. I think, I think I might've gone to the, uh, you know, to, uh, you know, to, uh, you know, one of the campus bars around Loyola and they had, I think Pac-Man or Miss Pac-Man. I, you know, I probably played, you know, those kind of video games, but I never really played any of the ones that, uh, you know, you would, you would play at home. So I was never even aware of what NBA 2K was, but, but I, I remember from the movie Stripes when, uh, Bill Murray and his crew are getting ready for their final exam. And, um, and they didn't have their drill sergeant to do so, so they have to kind of make up the routine themselves. And they got to the point where, uh, you know, Bill's shot out these, uh, you know, crazy things that the, uh, you know, the troop has to, has to repeat. And he got to one point where he said, boom, shakalaka, boom, shakalaka, boom. And so I thought, that's a really funny, funny phrase. And so, so I, I just thought, you know, it sounds like, especially if you emphasize the boom part, it sounds like something that has some, uh, you know, a little power, a little ferocity behind it. And so I thought if, if, if there's an emphatic dunk, you know that would kind of uh, that would kind of uh, fit, and I also added ooh that was nasty as another kind of uh, kind of way to describe it. Dunk. I try not to, you know, have uh, the same thing said too often over the course of a broadcast, so I kind of mix it up a little bit. But uh, I think the only thing that I really came up with that was mine was uh, the alliterations. And so if uh, if the Blazers were on a good run and the other team had to call a kind of the hot timeout where they're trying to stop the Blazers' uh, momentum. Uh, I would basically say that you know whoever the coach was, they were playing the Clippers, and 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 uh, they have to tell call timeout. I'd say Doc Rivers is mystified, mesmerized, and mortified. I picked three words, you know, with the same letter, and uh, indicating frustration, uh, anger, confusion, you know, whatever it might be. And uh, so those those kind of be those kind of be a fun thing because not every letter you could create three words, but a lot of them you could create more than uh, three words. And so uh, so I'd have people come up and say, yeah, we weren't sure if. You know, if you were going to say at that, you know, at that point in the game, and we didn't know what letter you were going to use, and so, so it kind of got to be something that uh, people seemed to look forward to. So that was that was something I can say that I created. But the boom shakalaka, I did, I did borrow that, not from where people thought I got it, but but from from stripes, and uh, and it got to be a nice. Uh, we we sold shirts, uh, 
uh, at the Blazer Steam Store, and they actually sold pretty well. So, so I'm thinking of developing a website uh, now that I have a little uh, personal time. And, uh, and uh, people said, well, if you do, make sure you have a, uh, a chance to sell some Moonshot Latin shirts. So I'll send you guys a couple if, uh, if we get to that point. But yeah. we're, we're seriously thinking about it. So hopefully uh, I'm thinking about doing a book, too. So I'll send you, you guys a book if I can yeah, put that together. We'll have it on again to promote the book. I love the alliteration, though. I lo- that's another thing. I was going to ask you about that because that is – when, and you knew when – and whenever the Blazers were going on a run, if there was a timeout, you would go you would go into it. And uh, how many different versions did you have? You must have had endless with all the different games that you did over these. Did that start when you first did the Blazers or did that start like midway through? And when did you pick that one up? Yeah, I don't think I, I don't think I had it when I first started with the Blazers. And I'm trying to remember when I – I guess I always liked – like words, uh, English was always the best subject I had in school, so I could kind of write well. And uh, uh, I wasn't a, a, an, av- an avid reader per se, but uh, but I, I'm not even sure how I kind of kind of developed it. But I I did kind of think it was funny to play with words, and so uh, I don't even remember the first time I did it. But uh, um, but I, I I think I got uh, just about every letter A B C D uh, E was tough. Uh, F, I, F, uh, G, I'm not sure I had G, H, I knew I had, I, I had, J, I had jilted, J, the jilted, K, I don't think I had K, don't think I had L, I had M with the mystified, don't think I had N, don't think I had O, I did have P, didn't have Q, I had R, S, I used to like S, staggered, stunned, stupefied, uh, T, I had terrified, troubled, tormented, uh, don't think I had U, don't think I had V, I had W, didn't have X, didn't have Y, didn't have Z. So I would say two thirds of the letters I did, uh, I did have something that, uh, that 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 was representative. And as I say, some some um, some letters had more than more than a set of three. So so it was fun. I mean, I, and, I, and there were a lot of games. Obviously, I wouldn't do it because I wanted to save it for you know a critical you know moment of the game. And I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it in the second quarter if the, you know there's a lot of game remaining. So it had to be usually fourth quarter. Something big's going down, and uh, always would be great if it was a home game where the crowd's going crazy, you know, behind me, uh, and uh, could find a way to you know to fit it in at that point. So, uh, but yeah, it's, it'll, it'll seem to be the one that uh, the national networks would kind of would kind of play because uh, I think it ended up being a good highlight, obviously, for the team, and and kind of one that uh, you know was one of my one of my better ones as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and do you remember, Wheels, let's go way back, though. Uh, Blazers were playing the Warriors. You actually called into the show, the overnight show that, uh, that I do. It was you know, a weekend version. It's I think this was like 2002, so it's been a long time. The it was the Chris Mills. Remember the Chris Mills incident oh, yeah. for Golden State. You guys, you were on the bus, and you guys were being blocked. It, it, do you remember? Can you tell me that story again for those that don't know what we're talking about? Because it was so long ago. Yeah, the uh, the Blazers and Warriors are having a pretty uh, heated heated game. It's coming down to the finish, uh, and um, so they're, they're playing the game in in Oakland, and. Uh, uh, the Blazers end up uh, winning on a kind of a last uh, minute to field goal. Uh, as the game is ending, uh, some of the fans kind of a taunting Rasheed Wallace, uh, and he uh, almost tries to get uh, into the stands to uh, to go after a couple. We used to travel at that time. Uh, we had two different uh, retired FBI uh, security guys, and so one of one of the two would go on every trip. And so the one guy is there. He's trying to get Rasheed to make sure that he won't go into the stands. Uh, in the meanwhile, Bonzi Wells and Chris Mills had had uh, some some pretty heated words throughout the broadcast, and so uh, so they started chirping at one another after the game ended. Uh, so we finally get everybody into the locker room, thinking that everything has calmed down a bit. 
Uh, Chris Mills, though, decides to come to the, the Blazer locker room and wants to uh, have Bonsi come out and uh, and settle things uh, right there. Uh, the uh, security guy made sure that Bonzi wouldn't do that. So we're on the team bus uh, trying to leave the, the parking lot, and all of a sudden um, it was like something in a uh, gangland movie or something because uh, Chris Mills and about two other cars come and they, they block the path of the bus. Chris Mills gets out of his car. He's got a long trench coat on. And his hand in his pocket, and uh, and nobody knows, you know, is he is he packing? I mean, what's what's going on here? Uh, naive Zach Randolph comes comes going down the aisle like, all right, let's go. You know, he thinks we're going to rumble here a little bit, and uh, and they had to tell him, you know, hey, go back in your seat, and and to kind of lighten the load a little bit. Jay Jensen, the team trainer, yells out at Arvita Sabonis, says, Salas, keep that head down of yours, because if if you don't, that's going to be the biggest target we got on this bus, and you know, and everybody laughs and so forth, but. You know, people still are kind of like, well, how are we going to get out of here? So the security guy stands, they open the door, he stands kind of in the doorway. He's got a, his, his hand in his pocket, and, you know, Chris and I said, this is a showdown. It's going to be like a duel. And so and so, uh, so they kind of look, he's staring down Chris Mills. Chris Mills is staring down him. And then finally, uh, the bus driver is in communication with, with somebody, and they say, well, go to this gate, we'll open it up, and you can get out that way. So basically, uh, he turns and uh, and the door closes, and we get out. They follow us, uh, Chris Mills and his posse, follow us to the airport, and they finally get to a point where they can't go any further because we're going to a private area. But he was, uh, Mills was ready to, you know, take this thing to, you know, to, to further levels, and uh, Stacy Ogman uh, uh, had to tell him, I guess Stacy uh, was somebody who knew some of the L.A. gang members that uh, that Chris Mills knew, and he had to tell him that, uh, hey, you know, Bonzi's all right, leave him alone or whatever. But I think Chris Mills was determined that this was going to go a little further. So I, I don't know what was said between these two. I never asked Bonzi about that. But it was the closest I've ever seen to have, uh, you know, an NBA, uh, you know, game night end with, uh, you know, with uh, potentially some casualties. Because it was, uh, I don't know if everybody was bluffing, but I wouldn't be surprised if maybe uh, if, if somebody had flinched, I think it could have uh, escalated to something uh, you know, pretty crazy. As it was, it was just kind of funny, but um, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that there weren't some nervous moments where you weren't quite sure what was going to happen. And uh, you know, but that FBI security guy, he was, he was ready to, you know, take on whatever was needed. So, so I give him credit for, you know, for standing up. And uh, maybe, maybe Chris Mills was like, yeah, you know, this crazy old dude is, uh, is, is maybe somebody I shouldn't challenge, and uh, ended up just being a, uh, you know, kind of a, who's going to flinch first, and, and nobody did, thankfully. So nobody was harmed. But uh, it was certainly something that had a little adventure attached to it, that's for sure. Yeah, and that was another one of those incidents. That was 2002, so social media was not a, a thing. You know, Twitter wasn't around and all that. And if it had been, that that would have been a, a much oh. bigger much bigger uh, story uh, had that taken place. Well, Wills, listen, uh, we love you, man. I, I, the NBA better hire you. Our heads are going to roll at the NBA. Somebody's got to hire you. You're great. Uh, you should be working somewhere. Anything you got to promote here? Any any uh, projects you want to – mentioned you're going to write a book and you got a website you're going to be starting soon right that's in the that's in the uh the queue as they say right yeah i think i think it's going to be happening fairly soon i think the book's going to be uh coming out uh, in the next couple of months so so yeah i'll, I'll definitely get back at that to the end well we can promote it a little bit when it's uh when it's a little bit more of a uh you know uh concrete thing to uh to have in my hand and uh, to talk more about but but it's in the 
formative stages. I've never done one before. It's not going to be a war and peace or anything. It'll be something fairly, you know, fairly light. But uh, but but maybe uh, you know, talk about the career and talk about some fun things that have happened along the way. So so hopefully one or two people will buy it. But uh, but but yeah, I think that and the website is is coming. So you know, this day and age, I think uh, the more you can kind of control your own narrative, it seems to be the best uh, thing to do. Because I've talked to some people that. So they'd like to hire me to do some things, but they're kind of in hiring freezes right now. So it's not the best time to be looking for work. But uh, but I'm hoping that uh, there'll be some opportunities uh, coming when things get back to normal a bit. But in the meantime, I'll try to uh, put some things together on my own and hope that that'll uh, you know tide me over and maybe uh, produce some new opportunities. But uh, but yeah, I'd love to get back in the NBA at some point uh, when the time is right, and hopefully there'll be that opportunity uh, you know before too long. And it's, uh, if it's uh, anything close to the great opportunity I had with Blazers for 21 years, I'll consider myself extremely lucky. Awesome. Thank you, Wilson. I appreciate it. Guys, my pleasure. Anytime. Good being with you. Thanks, Brian. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate it. Awesome, man. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Tura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts 